swings in the mood. Sort of a deflationary phenomenon again. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. U.S. stocks fall as global equities slide and U.S. treasuries stabilize. Asian stock futures signal further losses and Verizon will buy AOL for $4.4 billion. It looks like uh, stocks in the region may extend the retreat in global equities as concern mounts over the bond sell-off. We'll ask our markets guest Dickie Wong of Kingston Securities for more about that. Then the Wall Street Journal's reporter Lingling Wei brings us up to date on the situation uh, for lending to small and medium-sized enterprises in China. And our last guest this morning is Nest Investments' Simon Squibb to talk to us about what angel investors are looking for in Hong Kong startups. Stuart Altcroft is guest host today. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning, Renita. So this bond sell-off is really rattling markets. Tell us why. Uh, expectation probably that interest rates are going to go up sometime within the next six months. No, no doubt um, they're going to be right about that, but the date of when that will happen is still very uncertain. Yes, well, Wall Street uh, stocks dipped sharply in the early session and then European uh, equities were impacted as well. The Dow closed down 36 points or 2% at 18,068. The S&P shed 6 points or 0.3% at 2,099. And the Nasdaq lost 17 points or 0.4% to uh, 4,096. The effects of the global uh, sell-off on European equity markets uh, were pretty negative as well. The FTSE 100 was down 1.4% to 6,933. Euro stocks also down 1.4% and the CAC 40 down 1% to 4,974. And the DAX also down 1.7% to 11,472. The recent uh, unexpected leap in yields on U.S. Treasuries and German bonds has been a thorn in the side of stock investors for several days. Cumberland Advisor CIO David Cotter talked to Bloomberg about the sell-off. This is a bond tantrum, and it started with a schnitzel. It started in Germany. We blame in Germany. That's it. And the bond tantrum spread worldwide. It was a worldwide phenomenon. So you move the Bund 60 basis points, and here in America, everybody gets all upset because the 10-year Treasury moves 50 basis points. I mean, it's worldwide. It's global. didn't change any of the economics that made a decision two weeks ago that was different. Benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury yields touched their highest since mid-November, earlier that was before coming down slightly, and elevated U.S. yields mean higher borrowing costs, which can make it harder for companies to expand. Wall Street stocks dipped, as we uh, said, but uh, the fall was upset, offset by news of Verizon's $4.4 billion U.S. Uh, uh, takeover of AOL. AOL shares jumped on the news, rising 18%. Timothy Armstrong, chief executive officer of the company, talks about the deal and his role at the new company. 
You know, the deal is really targeted at two main things, which is the $40 billion market and mobile, which will happen before 2020, and the $40 billion on OTT and online video. And the deal was kind of constructed around that. It started from conversations that we had between the teams. And I sat down with lunch last year with Lowell McAdam, and we had a great discussion about where the future was going. We started talking to about operational things, and it led into a deal. And really, you know, my role at the company is going to be to help uh, drive the future of the, uh, the businesses around advertising, digital content, and video uh, overall inside of Verizon. And I think we're really excited to take our assets, put them together with the Verizon assets, and uh, we'll be running a division of the company, which is really one of their future areas of where they're expecting to get growth from. Tencent releases earnings later today. Hans Tung is managing partner at GGV Capital, and he talks about what he expects from the company. I think the Tencent earning is slowing down versus the year before, because a year ago, Starting 2013, they start monetizing WeChat. And then for now, Glow's slowing down because they're doing revenue share without a party. But there are two Chinas. The China that Tencent's in is the new China. And they're moving aggressively offline, from online to offline, with on-demand mobile services. They're plugging with our portfolio company, DD Taxi, and a bunch of other apps out there. I think they will change the way that offline spending is done, even when no one thought it was possible before. So actually, I think they have a new territory to tackle that people are not seeing. And over the next two, three years, you'll see contribution from that business become more material. So on one hand, you've got China slowing down. And on the other hand, companies like Alibaba and Tencent are gaining foothold in the U.S. Newco CEO John Battelle tells us why. Alibaba has joined the conversation uh, alongside uh, Facebook, Google and other large Internet players. Uh, as a potential acquirer of any number of companies at very large numbers, billions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. So anyone who's running a company of some size and girth in the United States is now scrambling to have an Alibaba at Tencent and Baidu strategy to understand what they might need and whether or not their strategic goals align. Let's bring in our first guest of the morning, Dickie Wong, uh, Executive Director at Kingston Securities. Good morning, Dickie. Dickie, okay, uh, let's start with uh, the global bond sell-off. What's your take? <laughs> That's uh, so simple. Um, we can see all the money pouring into the stock market, no matter in uh, China and also in um, and um, everywhere else, and also in U.S. and and also um, as we expected, um, and the U.S. may hike interest rate as soon as the fourth quarter. I don't think they will hike interest rate and. Um, in the third quarter, but they may do so in the fourth quarter. And also, um, they will start hiking interest rate in, in, in next year. Uh, because I can see a very clear sign that U.S. economy is improving um, very well, com- especially when comparing to other countries like in um, Europe and also in um, Southeast Asia. So when um, the interest rate is, will, will be hiked very soon, like in the fourth quarter, I do see um, some kind of room for the U.S. Treasury to pull back a bit. So uh, Hong Kong stocks were down along with global equity markets, and Asian futures are certainly looking down this morning. Uh, Last night, though, at the close, Shanghai, Shenzhen, Taiwan, Nikkei, none of these seem to be too affected. Why was this? Well, the market sentiment is still very well in those Southeast Asia and um, in the Asia market. But I do have to warn that... um, 
in May. Obviously, sell in May and go away. This is what I strongly believe. And um, there's some kind of room to pull back a bit more for the Hong Kong local stock market. And I think the Hang Seng Index may, may soon will test the 27 and 200,000 uh, points, um, the key supportive level. Especially when we saw that um, on Sunday, PBOC um, introduced another round of easing monetary policy, another rate cut. But I don't see a very strong, um, I mean, stock market, especially those um, banking stocks, those state-owned banks. Though, they just, they were just, uh, went up just one day and um, pulled back yesterday. So it means that um, we all know because the next round of mon- um, easing monetary policy will be another cut of the reserve requirement ratio. So that's no question asked. We all expect it. So um, it gives basically nothing, nothing, uh, I mean, um, momentum or either catalyst to the stock market because as we all expect it. So I think a further pullback will be needed. Stuart? You had a thought? I wonder whether the PBOC has much left to cut now that we've seen yet another rate cut. Do you you see the more cuts on the horizon there? I I do see more room for the cut. Uh, As we all know, a couple of days ago, um, when we see the export data, the CPI or the PPI, uh, they were just simply worse than expected. Um, What will they need to do now? I mean, the, the Chinese government and PBOC... Uh, further easing monetary policy is needed because they, they need to sustain some kind of uh, GDP growth like around 7%. It's not something easy. The first quarter, they did it. But the second quarter, I don't think they can do it. I, I mean, they, they don't think, I don't think they can do it. So like, it looks as though they're going to start. More than 7% is not easy. So yeah, but if they start cutting any more, yeah. if they start cutting any more, they'll get to a point where the U.S. starts raising rates then they'll find themselves in a rather difficult position, won't they? Oh, this is definitely re- really true. Uh, especially, we can see the RMB now appreciate um, uh, to the U.S. dollar. It gives some kind of uh, pressure to the Chinese government as well, because if uh, the RMB uh, keep on appreciating, um, to especially to those other um, export countries um, like Europe or and Southeast Asia, it, will, it may hurt Chinese exports, so they have to do something. They create a, not not the bubble of the stock market, but because the stock market, the sentiment is doing good, the stock market is doing good. If the property market, um, I mean, will will improve in some 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 kind uh, some time, like in um, the later this year, it may give some kind of um, a boost to the mm. local GDP. And are you seeing any of this sort of feed through into the Hong Kong market as a positive indicator there? You mean Hong Kong stock market? Yes. Well, as, as I, I believe, um, Hong Kong stock market is a totally um, different situation because um, it's more rational. It's not that sentimental. In um, Chinese stock market, even the same stock, uh, the Asia is trading at a high valuation. So I think Hong Kong stock market um, is all rational, and um, mm. I think a little bit more pullback room. But we still uh, have something like 50% or so of the Hang Seng Index are China stocks. So whatever happens in China will still be predominantly reflected in the Hong Kong market. Uh, if you compare the valuation now, Asia is trading at um, like 25 
percent over um, the each share. Um, so there's some kind of room for each share to catch up, but I don't I don't think it will happen in May. And Dicky, notwithstanding uh, you know China's success with its stock market, uh, you know the slowdown appears to be growing more and more alarming. Uh, I read two opposing views this morning. One was from Ruchir Sharma at Morgan Stanley, who predicts that the growth will slow to four to five percent, and he's concerned. Uh, the other one from Rob Petty of Clearwater Capital, who's a China bull, and he says that the chi- uh, Chinese balance sheet gives it the ability to kick the can down the road. What do you think? Where do you lie on this uh, spectrum of thought? Well, four to five percent would be definitely tragedy for um, economy like China because if they cannot sustain like a GDP growth more than like six percent, uh, basically the uni- university graduates they they won't find any job, and um, so so they need to do something to sustain like around seven percent GDP growth for this year. But um, obviously. Uh, definitely, the GDP growth target will be, I mean, like 6.5, around 6.5 next year, or maybe even 6% um, and, um, in 2017. So this is a clear trend, and there's no question asked. But um, I, I don't think they will just sit there and wait. So they will have to do something, like I said, monetary policy, they will have to do it. So another triple R cut, maybe in the next month or even in May, but no later than the second quarter. Dickie, do you think that as uh, the yuan seeks reserve currency status, uh, there's any possibility that China could join a global currency war? Uh, actually, uh, um, you can see. Um, not like, unlike the Japan, unlike, um, the, I mean, and the Europe, but the the Chinese government and also the PPOC, they, they did. They already did. Uh, they, they, they have a, 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 so many rounds of cut of triple R, rate cut, targeted uh, triple R cut, and, um, and so on. So, well, I, I think they're already part of it. All right, Dickie. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Dickie Wong. He is executive director at Kingston Securities. Let's take a look at the numbers now. Uh, the Nikkei is down four-tenths of a percent to 19,541. Uh, Australia's ASX 200 and Sol's Cosby both are up. Um, Australia is up uh, 0.06% to 5,676 and Seoul's Kospi up two-tenths of a percent to 2,101. In currencies, one euro is currently valued at 1.12 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 119.82 yen and one pound sterling buys you 12 Hong Kong dollars and 14 cents. The time is now 8.18 a.m. And yesterday in our markets discussion, we touched a little bit on the Chinese government and the fact that it won't let first-tier banks go bust. But what about the second and third tier? Wall Street Journal reporter Ling Ling Wei joins us now on the phone from China. Good morning, Ling Ling. Hi, good morning. So, Ling Ling, you know, when it comes to uh, small and medium-sized uh, enterprises in China, how can they get uh, loans under the current lending environment? 
Uh, it's very hard for one medium-sized enterprises to get credit these days, um, maybe because um, a lot of uh, Chinese banks are getting increasingly risk-averse um, because their bad loans are piling up. And uh, traditionally, as you know, uh, they have long favored big state-owned enterprises because they, you know, have this implicit government guarantee. So they're uh, risk uh, profile uh, is better than small and private businesses. So f- to get loans, a lot of these uh, small uh, SMEs uh, have to put up collateral to uh, secure loans. Um, the collateral includes property and any other hard assets they have. And Ling Ling, uh, even- how, how detrimental yeah. is it, would it be, you know, to the economy if uh, these uh, companies fail to get loans? Well, uh, it's uh, not a very healthy development because uh, small and private businesses account account for a big chunk of the GDP these days. And some estimate, you know, more than fifty percent, you know, uh, close to seventy percent. And at the same time, the Chinese government itself really counts on these private businesses for future growth. Uh, as you know, SOEs, uh, the efficiency of SOEs and returns have long been way below SOE, uh, SMEs. So it's not really a very healthy development. And Ling Ling, uh, you know, our analyst uh, yesterday said that, you know, China will not let the big uh, first tier banks, I should say, go bust. Do you think they'll have any problem letting second and third tier banks fail? Well, uh, that's... Uh, I think the analysis is right on. Definitely um, the big banks are sort of like too big to fail. For the smaller banks, especially uh, the uh, county level small banks, uh, I wouldn't even call them second tier or third tier banks, really small banks. There might be some uh, possibility of failing uh, because, um, you know, as you know, China is uh, uh, gradually liberalizing the banking sector uh, by freeing up uh, interest rates. So they are encouraging more competition in the area. Just recently, they introduced the much-awaited uh, uh, deposit insurance system. So uh, the whole purpose uh, uh, is to uh, get banks to compete more uh, for customers. All right, Ling Ling. Uh, so, Thank you so much. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Great stuff. That's Ling Ling Wei, and she is a reporter uh, for the Wall Street Journal based in China. Smart seniors always pay attention to pedestrian traffic signals when crossing the road. They don't try to beat the lights. They take footbridges whenever they can, and they use the pedestrian crossings. You might have been a fast runner when you were younger, but now it's not worth it. Not to you, not to your spouse, or your children or grandchildren. So kick those bad habits and cross safely. Love yourself, love your family. Be a smart pedestrian. The time is now 8.22 a.m. and you are listening to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. Well, as new companies uh, continue to burgeon in Hong Kong, angel investors are all the more keen to find their top picks. Our last guest this morning is Simon Squibb, CEO of Nest Investments. Let's ask him why. Good morning, Simon. 
Good morning. So, Simon, what is it that angel investors are looking for in new startups here in Hong Kong? Well, um, we, we're looking at Nest for people that have big vision, big ideas, and businesses that we can seed in Hong Kong and take global. So uh, that you know, the business side—that's what we're looking at. And for the people side, we're looking at people that are solving problems that they really care about. That you know, in any business, big or small, you have highs and lows, and to push yourself through those highs and lows, the business problem that you're addressing needs to be personal. So we're looking for people that take it personally, and we're looking for people that have passion, that are nice to work with, but really make it happen. And that's everyone's got an idea, but not everyone can make it happen. We're looking for people that uh, realize, as Reid Hoffman at LinkedIn once said, that building a company is like jumping off a cliff and building a plane on the way down. So we're looking for people that are prepared for that. So Simon, you know, Hong Kong was once thought of as sort of the gateway to Asia and some would argue the gateway to China. Uh, But what you just said is that you're actually looking for companies to seed here and take global. So that gateway to China and Asia, is that just an outdated uh, method of thinking? Uh, I think it is a little bit outdated, but it's still relevant. I think what our strategy at Nest has been for the last five years, and we were the first movers in this market to really structure up this investing in early stage companies, is yes, this is a great base to register a company. It costs a dollar to register a company. You can easily access this East meets West culture here. And actually, Hong Kong's also not a bad portal into India. But interestingly enough, it's both ways. So yes, we can take businesses into Asia, but we can also take businesses into Europe. I was in Rome last week talking about taking one of our startups there, tourism-based app. So, you know, going into uh, going into Europe or going into America the other ways is interesting for companies here. But equally, bringing companies from Europe and from America into China. Um, you mentioned it. I've been listening to the broadcast this morning. You, one of your guests mentioned it about how Tencent Alibaba had this strategy to go into America. And these companies now all need to make sure that, one, they can compete with these e-commerce companies that are now becoming banks and equally at the same time make sure that these businesses can go back to uh, back into China and compete equally with these big new brands like Alibaba and Tencent. Uh, any typical businesses that you'd like to talk about that you've had successes with? Uh, yeah, well, we've invested in 48 companies, so mm. it's, it's always hard to pick my, you know, the one I, I should talk about without getting into trouble with all the other founders. You, you can't but, have a favourite among that. Uh, no, well, you know, I think there's some interesting interesting mm. businesses. So, for example, we, ju- we just invested in a company called Merchants. Mm. This is a very interesting uh, uh, digitisation of, of the transactional process between factories and, and retailers. But what, you know, the, the background of this company is interesting. It's two Israeli founders, and Israel is really producing some interesting ideas and businesses businesses for lots of reasons, but so two Israeli founders that moved to San Francisco to, to uh, start their business and, and, and build their team. And then uh, they came out to Hong Kong to raise capital because their clients are Chinese factories. So businesses are, are global now. Uh, you know, with Alibaba going into, into the US, you can see these businesses are thinking global. Are, are you predominantly looking at technology-based companies or are there, are, are there business limitations? So, so, for example, angel investors in Hong Kong used to always only focus on restaurants. Mm. Now you're now technology. But what about other businesses as well? Well, ultimately, if we're going to deploy capital, and at Nest we have 12 full-time people that help these startups, if we're going to put that sort of huge resource on, on these companies, they need to be able to scale. Uh, just a local business like a restaurant wouldn't be uh, wouldn't justify the brain power that we apply mm-hmm. and the capital that we apply to these businesses. So, but to answer your question about tech, yes, tech plays a part. 
These days, though, most businesses, you know, will say they're, they're tech in some shape or form. But definitely the good thing about, say, uh, a digital platform or an app is you can be sitting in Hong Kong and load that app on the App Store in America or load that app on the App Store in Europe. You don't need to be sitting in those markets anymore to, to launch these businesses. And you can, you know, uh, disseminate the business and be global with a digital product. But we're always investing at Nest at the, in the people. And sometimes you look at businesses like, let's say, Starbucks, for example. This is not a digital business, but it's done pretty well. Mm. So, uh, but we, we look at big people have vision and now we haven't invested in, 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 in uh, bricks and mortar related businesses because rents are high and you don't want to be tied to that sort of fixed cost base but uh, we're not against it I think we're more interested in businesses that can scale and it turns out the majority of them are tech So um, Simon you know, two questions one is you know, Hong Kong being this uh, hub for you know, the finance industry are you seeing a lot of finance startups? Yeah, actually, I think this is a major opportunity for Hong Kong uh, as, a, as a hub. It, it has a unique mix of the Chinese banks and the Western banks sitting side by side in this market, uh, collaborating. The brain power around the financial sector in this market is incredible. So I think it's a huge opportunity for anyone in the world with a fintech idea, a financial technology idea, to start here and get access to all that. And with that in mind, I'm, I'm proud to say that we've recently launched a, a partnership with DBS Bank, which is, of course, a very well-known Singapore-based bank that have opened up their fintech hub here in Hong Kong. And we're saying to startups around the world, if you've got a great idea in fintech that's going to change banking forever, then come to Hong Kong, set up here, and we'll help you scale it. So I think this is a major uh, uh, opportunity for Hong Kong. In addition, I just say, I, I listening to a broadcast this morning talking about you know the second third tier banks and going under and, and so on and so forth. I think all of these businesses need to innovate. All of these brands that are struggling, you know, so dependent perhaps in the past on government handouts, now have to think about how they're going to survive on their own. That's good news. That means that they must innovate. And to innovate in the modern world, you have to listen to your customers and give them what they want. And people have business ideas and they need funding. Yes. So, so yeah. So, that's so unfortunately, we're running out of time, but I have to ask you this one, you know, in 30 seconds or less. At one of the re- uh, recent uh, angel uh, investing forums where I think you and I were both there, the, the topic went from sort of uh, what in angel investors look at. So the topic went from sort of your traditional J-curve business plan to face reading, which the Chinese investors apparently take very seriously because they're looking to see, can I work with this person? Do I want to take it beyond? a pitch so to your point of you know you're looking for people do you buy that yeah this is why i do buy that actually i i, I think that it's very much okay call it face reading makes it sound a bit uh holistic, but yes but but actually ultimately it's about instinct and and that's why i think the future of uh, helping early stage companies is entrepreneurs investing in entrepreneurs because i i, I call it a spark in the eye i can see it when people are going to make it work or do their very best to make it work. And it's an instinct thing, especially in the early stages, because they don't have necessarily a, a financial plan that's clear and obvious. They're not necessarily making profit yet that you can easily quantify. So, so yes, I do believe in what you've just said. And, you know, I'll take any tool I can to d- determine whether or not a business is going to do well. All right, Simon, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's Simon Squibb, and he is a CEO of Nest Investments. The Nikkei is now down... Uh, 
point one percent to nineteen thousand five hundred and twenty four Australia's ASX two hundred down point oh one percent to five thousand six hundred and seventy three and sold's Cosby uh, up a three tenth of a percent to two thousand one hundred and four gold currently stands at one thousand one hundred and ninety two dollars and thirty cents per ounce and Brent crude oil at sixty seven dollars and sixteen cents well here we are at the end of the show we've got uh, manufacturing numbers coming out in China later today. Stuart, what else should we be looking out for? Well, China's still obviously making news and waves. Um, you, you asked me like this last week, this time last week. David Cameron's now come back as Prime Minister. Greece has paid off its first debt. It's still got another big problem coming up soon. So, you know, things do happen um, and sometimes they surprise us. All right, Stuart, thank you so much for joining us this morning as guest host. That's Stuart Aldcroft, chairman of City Trust, and I'm Renita Malhotrahora, wrapping up for this morning's Money for Nothing. The weather today will be mainly cloudy with sunny periods during the day. The temperature right now is 25 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 86%. Time for the news with Samantha Butler. Aid officials in Nepal say they're still trying to establish the full extent of the damage caused by the second earthquake in less than three weeks. Yesterday's quake killed at least 50 people in Nepal and another 17 in northern India. But people are still buried under rubble and the number of dead is expected to rise. Many people have again been sleeping outside, too scared to stay at home. Viraj, a relief worker in Kathmandu, says he was almost killed as houses collapsed around him. I was nearly swept away by the leftover houses in the rubbles and it was really trembling. People were scared.